everyone, and welcome to Meetups with Mediators, a podcast brought to you by the Columbus Bar Association. I'm your host, Veronica Cravener. This is a podcast for both mediators and attorneys who represent clients at mediation. The goal is to provide takeaways to help you make your next mediation your best mediation. Today's topic is what makes an effective court-connected mediator? So why should we care, you might be thinking? Well, if you're involved in litigation, chances are you will experience a court-connected mediation at some point. And you may be wondering, what should I expect? Today's guest is the perfect person to answer that question. With us today is Kathy Geyer. Kathy is the manager of the Ohio Supreme Court Dispute Resolution Section, where she promotes statewide rules for dispute resolution programs, develops dispute resolution training programs, and serves as mediator for Supreme Court litigants, Court of Claims litigants, and Ohio public officials. And I'm just highlighting a few of her duties here. Prior to her role with the Supreme Court, Kathy practiced insurance law for several years. So with that, Kathy, welcome to Meetups with Mediators, and thanks for being here today. Thank you, Veronica. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, let's get to it. So I always like to ask each of my guests just to tell us a little bit about how you got your start in mediation. Sure. I got my start in mediation as a new associate at a law firm in Cincinnati. I represented parties in mediation, mostly in insurance defense cases. Since then, I've participated in mediation coast to coast, pretty much mediating in places like California, Connecticut, Florida, and West Virginia as the manager of corporate contingent litigation for a Fortune 100 company here in town. About seven years ago, I switched from an advocate in mediation to the role of a mediator, and today I'm honored to serve as a mediator for the Supreme Court of Ohio. Well, it sounds like you've really got interesting experience, Kathy, and I imagine uh, your previous experience in being an advocate for folks in mediation uh, really comes in handy now that you're putting on the mediator's hat and sort of trying to uh, make connections with both the parties and their attorneys as well. So, so that's really fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, it gives a little bit of credibility uh, from the party's perspective to know that I have been um, in their place before, wearing their shoes, so to speak. Well, can you tell us, so what is a court-connected mediator? A court-connected mediator is a mediator who accepts mediation referrals from a court. A court-connected mediator can be a full-time or a part-time employee of the court, It can be a volunteer, can be a contract mediator, a private mediator, or a mediation organization that accepts referrals of cases to mediate. The dispute resolution section of the Supreme Court offers mediation training at no cost to court-connected mediators. More and more, we are training court employees who wear multiple hats within the courthouse, such as clerks, staff attorneys, even bailiffs, learning mediation skills. It's not uncommon for mediators to accept referrals both from a court and from private parties. There are lots of examples of court-connected mediators here in central Ohio. Franklin County is fortunate to have a wealth of experienced, top-notch court-connected mediators and mediation programs. You and Alex, of course, are in the municipal court. Mario Coleman in the domestic relations and juvenile courts are examples of full-time staff mediators and mediation managers. Volunteers from local law schools and businesses volunteer their time to mediate. The Community Mediation Services of Central Ohio, run by Shelley Whalen, has been providing court-connected mediation for a number of years. 
And there are contract mediators serving your courts here in Central Ohio. Well, Kathy, first, I just want to thank you for the the shout out and the kudos. Uh, we certainly appreciate that at the Franklin County Municipal Court. And yeah, I mean, uh, throughout Central Ohio, I think we're really blessed with a lot of quality mediation. Um, and that, that certainly means a lot um, coming from you. So thank you. Uh, and, and one thing I want to point out is uh, I think that's the really interesting thing about mediation is, you know, I always tell folks, so what are we doing in mediation? Uh, we're helping people deal with real-life events. And uh, it's interesting, too, that there's really no one-size-fits-all approach for how a court can provide a quality mediation service. I mean, I think, as you mentioned, some courts will elect to use uh, full-time staff members, contractors, volunteers, law students, and it's really a matter of uh, as long as you're providing a quality mediation service, that's really the key, and there are infinite number of ways to do that. So that's really interesting. Well, so can you tell us, is it important to know if a mediator is a court-connected mediator or not? Well, I think it is important to know. One reason it's important to know if a mediator is a court-connected mediator or not is because the degree of a court's responsibility for mediators or mediation programs depends on whether the mediation program is employed or operated by the court, receives referrals from the court, or is chosen by the parties themselves. And here's what I mean by that. Under national standards for court-connected mediation programs developed by the State Justice Institute, a court is responsible for mediators it employs and programs it operates. That makes sense. A court has the same responsibility for monitoring the quality of mediators and mediation programs outside the court if it refers cases to those mediators or outside programs. But a court, at least under the national standards, has no responsibility for the quality of a mediator or outside programs chosen by the parties without any guidance from the court. So under these standards, it's the method of referral that governs a court's responsibility to monitor a mediator or mediation program. And that's interesting. So there's a couple things I wanted to sort of pull out from there. So I guess the first is, it sounds like in a nutshell, court referral equals court responsibility. Uh, if you're involved in a court-connected mediation, you've sort of got the reasonable expectation that the court has vetted the mediators that it's going to refer cases to, that it's going to be monitoring those mediators. Um, it's going to be informing those mediators about sort of court-specific policies. And uh, to the extent that there are both uh, kudos and complaints, that the court will sort of answer to that. Versus, on the other hand, if parties are electing to retain a, a private mediator, then it's sort of incumbent upon the parties to do their own sort of vetting um, and who they're selecting to mediate a case. Mm -hmm. I think that's exactly right. And in fact, to support those goals, the dispute resolution section offers training programs to court-connected mediators at no cost to those mediators. And I want to say, you know, as a fellow mediator, I've been to many of the trainings. And, uh, Kathy, I just want to commend you on all the hard work that you've done over at the Supreme Court thus far. I mean, you've put on some really fantastic trainings. And, you know, I know we had just over in last March, uh, we had the first statewide uh, mediation conference, I believe, where we had the opportunity to interact with mediators all across the state. I think there were even some nation 
some na- some national speakers, uh, and 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 that's the really great thing about uh, being a court connected mediator is having access to those real quality trainings through the Ohio Supreme Court. So I wanted to thank you and commend you on that. Well, I appreciate that, Veronica. Thank you, and we were very pleased and fortunate that the court would allow the dispute resolution section to host such a uh, national conference like that, and we're um, pleased that it was helpful to the those that came to it. Thank you. Well, and so I'm curious, do courts have to refer cases to mediation? No, not at all. Courts don't have to refer cases to mediation, but courts do have the discretion to refer cases to mediation if they choose to do that. Uh, In Ohio, almost all of Ohio's 88 counties do have court mediation programs. The growth of the court-connected mediation in Ohio was a systematic and carefully developed process that started gosh, it was almost 30 years ago now, the Supreme Court of Ohio began to explore mediation as a court service in 1989. The court accepted recommendations from its advisory committee to continue what was called the Circuit Rider Program. The Circuit Rider Program helped six municipal courts provide free pre-filing mediation in small claims and misdemeanor cases. Based on the circuit rider model, more municipal courts began to offer mediation as a free pre-filing program, and some chose to offer mediation between the filing of the complaint and the court hearing, and even others offered mediation on the day of trial. Initially, these court-connected mediation programs were staffed by volunteer mediators. Following the start of mediation in municipal courts, the Supreme Court of Ohio started to test the feasibility of court staff mediation services and offered startup grants to courts in 1997. So today, there are court-connected mediators mediating throughout Ohio in nearly every case type in all court divisions. The 10th District Court of Appeals in Franklin County here has one of the longest-running mediation programs in Ohio, and of course the Supreme Court offers mediation in its cases, uh, and Nicole DiCuccio and I mediate those. So it sounds like there's been a real growth uh, in the use of mediation by courts over the years, and it sounds like that trend uh, is only continuing. Uh, So the question I've got for you is, so Kathy, as you think back on your mediation so far, now that we know that all 88 counties have mediation, uh, do you happen to remember at all how many of those counties you've mediated cases for? Well, it's been a long time ago. You're testing me, Veronica. <laughs> but I did, uh, when I was in an in-house at an insurance company early in my years, and I was assigned to mediate cases in Ohio at a time where there was a real um, change in the insurance law. So I mediated probably, I had responsibility for all the counties in Ohio, and I recall at that time that each and every county had different appellate districts that were interpreting the obligations of the insurance carriers at that time, and they were interpreting them differently. So I I would say maybe personally I've mediated in perhaps half of those counties, but it's been a 
It's been a long while since I did that. <laughs> well, that's impressive. I've only ever mediated here in Franklin County, specifically at the municipal court. So that's impressive. Well, thank you for playing along with that. I was I was sort of testing your memory, right? <laughs> yes, and I have to give a, a plug to the courthouses throughout Ohio because there really are some magnificent um, courthouses throughout the state in each county. And that's one of the fondest memories I have is being able to travel throughout Ohio and see all the beautiful uh, courthouses that we have. Indeed, they are. Well, can you tell us, can a mediator be both court-connected and a private mediator? Absolutely, yes, and many of them are. Uh, private mediators might choose to be on a court's roster in addition to being chosen by parties without any involvement from the court. A court-connected mediator may be connected to multiple courts as well, in central Ohio, for example, a mediator may volunteer at one of your mediation programs, it may also be on the roster of the Delaware County court program where the court mandates that the parties mediate, but the parties select the mediator from a roster of mediators and pay the mediator. Uh, and that same mediator might be a contract mediator for Licking County, a common pleas court where the court both refers the cases to the mediator selects the mediator, and pays for the mediator. So there are lots of opportunities to be a court-connected mediator and a private mediator in Central Ohio. So the good news is, you know, if you're an attorney out there and you encounter a mediator as a result of a court-connected referral, if you like that mediator, chances are you might be able to retain them on a case that hasn't been referred to a court-connected mediation program. So that's interesting. I think that's right. Well, so can you tell us what does a court-connected mediator need to know to be effective that's different from a private mediator, or are there any differences? Those are great questions. In most of the important ways, a mediator is effective if he or she follows the applicable standards and ethics, such as the model standards of conduct for mediators adopted by the American Bar Association, or in family law cases, the model standards of practice for family and divorce mediators. The Dispute Resolution Section and the Commission on Dispute Resolution developed 10 core values of mediation, such as self-determination, impartiality, neutra neutrality, absence of conflict of interest, confidentiality, to name a few. Uh, these are on our website. They're core values that direct and guide a mediator's actions. The Ohio Uniform Mediation Act also has guidelines for mediator conduct, such as impartiality and disclosing qualifications of asked. So those Values and standards apply to mediators, whether they are court-connected or private mediators. So in, in those ways, there's, there's similarities. Uh, as far as differences, there are significant differences in terms of court-connected mediators and what makes a more effective court-connected mediator than, an, than another. And it is important for a court-connected mediator to know if, for example, the, in the example I just gave where you could be a mediator mediating in Franklin or Delaware or Licking or all of those, there may be very specific expectations from the court with respect to what you're doing as a mediator. So it's important for a court-connected mediator to understand that the program standards may vary from court to court or county to county. Uh, for example, in Franklin County Municipal Court where you're 
where you are, your mediation program will operate differently than the 10th District Court of Appeals here in Franklin County. So the different expectations uh, are there, and it's important for both mediators to be aware of those and also litigants who are coming into those different uh, court settings to know what the differences are. Court-connected mediators need to know specific practices and procedures such as what case types are mediated, whether there's a local rule governing mediation, whether mediation is confidential, when a case will be referred to mediation, and if there's any feedback or survey uh, form that is expected from the court uh, for the mediators to use. And I'll say, you know, in working in a mediation program, uh, that's really interesting that you point out sort of the differences from one court-connected mediation program to another. So one example I'll give is uh, oftentimes we'll get phone calls from attorneys who are, you know, trying to prepare their clients for mediation and prepare themselves for one of our mediations. And and they'll call us and ask us, like, hey, do you require mediation position statements? And so in our court-connected mediation program, we currently don't, but, you know, there are other court-connected mediation programs where they might. Uh, and so that's just sort of, um, you know, a good tip that to the extent that for our attorney listeners, uh, to the extent that you're representing your client in a court-connected mediation program, I mean, if there's information about things that that you're seeking that you don't know, I mean, consider just sort of picking up the phone and, and talking to the administrator of those mediation programs. Uh, but also sounds like in terms of just the mediators, uh, you know, Kathy, uh, it seems like— um, a mediator is still a mediator. You know, there are still certain standards out there, whether um, it's a private mediator or a court-connected mediator. But if someone is mediating for a court-connected mediation program, there are other things to be aware of, like local rules, like what are the specifics of uh, that particular program. Absolutely. And, and courts really appreciate, I think, if you take the time to learn what their specific processes are for their mediation program. Well, Kathy, I know we've had a great conversation so far just in terms of uh, what a court-connected mediator needs to know to be effective. Is there anything else that you'd like to share on this topic? Safety is also very important. Mediators should know the court's safety and screening procedures should something go awry in mediation. Not that it's expected, but occasionally as individuals are in dispute, discussions can get heated. So an effective court-connected mediator will know the court's procedures around safety including how to terminate mediation safely, whether there is a security officer or a panic button or phone number that should be used if it's needed. We think that the safety is so important that we've added into our training a specific module for safety and screening in all mediation. I know that typically in domestic relations mediation, there's a very detailed screening process that is used, but we've added safety and screening as an important module in our mediation training, including our online mediation training that we added in 2017. I agree with you, Kathy. Uh, safety is is just of critical importance. And uh, I, I also wanted to point out, just as a mediator, I mean, the Supreme Court has offered a really great safety-related training. I know a few years back, I took the domestic abuse issues training. And I feel like that mediation training really helped to give me some guidelines and protocols uh, to help us implement in terms of our safety processes uh, as we're mediating at the municipal court. So, yeah, I mean, uh, safety is something that is definitely of critical importance when it comes to mediation. That's great. And I know in your court, in order to enter the building, you have to go through 
uh, safety and screening for weapons and things like that. But sometimes you might find yourself mediating in a court annex or an administrative building or something like that where there may not be that same screening available. So it's important just to be aware of what your surroundings are in any given mediation. Well, sort of switching topics a little bit, uh, can you tell us what kind of style of mediation do you tend to see in court-connected mediation? That's a great question. Traditionally, courts have offered a facilitative style mediation. In a facilitative style, the mediator helps the parties in reaching a self-determined, mutually agreeable, and sustainable resolution. The facilitative mediator asks questions validates parties' concerns and feelings and summarizes points of views and guides the parties in reaching options for resolution. The facilitative mediator doesn't make recommendations, offer advice or opinions, or predict what a court might do. The facilitative mediator manages manages the process while the parties determine the outcome. A facilitative mediator, however, may share information about a jury verdict to the extent it might be helpful to the parties. In our trainings at the dispute resolution section, we introduce court-connected mediators to a facilitative style, to an evaluative style, and to a transformative style of mediation. But what we teach is the facilitative style of mediation. So I think that's probably the style of mediation that we tend to see most frequently in court-connected mediation. I would say in general civil litigation, we see more of a request from the parties for an evaluative style of mediation This might be especially true for high-volume users of the litigation system, such as the insurance defense cases involving bodily injury, past and future medical damages, lost wages, and other economic or non-economic damages. So chances are, if parties are involved in a court-connected mediation, probably what they'll see more often than not is the facilitative style where uh, the mediator is uh, may not have that subject matter expertise, but instead Um, has the training and background and skills in terms of managing the process, helping parties share information and settlement proposals, and sort of helping assist parties in that self-determination so that they decide if they can reach an agreement or not. Uh, If folks are looking for a more evaluative style, that might be something that they find more in the private mediation arena. I I think that's true as a general statement. However, again, I think there's an area where it's important to know who is your mediator, what are they comfortable with, what's their background, what does the court offer. Certainly, I think the General Division of Common Pleas Courts recognize that there are certain cases where the parties really find it helpful to have an evaluative style. So a mediator may start out as a facilitative, using a facilitative style, but as the mediation proceeds, they may, if the parties ask, switch to an evaluative style if they are comfortable and have the background to provide that. Okay, interesting. Well, to sort of of change things up a little bit, so uh, if you've listened to our our previous episodes, you know that I like to play games um, with our guests. And so, Kathy, I've got a game uh, for you if you're on board. So I've entitled it Good Mediator or Bad Mediator. So uh, I've got three different hypotheticals, and I will tell you the fact pattern of each hypothetical and then ask Jusk for your uh, reaction. 
uh, as to whether this particular mediator is a good mediator or a bad mediator. So what do you think? Are you on board for playing? I will give it a try. All right. All right. So hypo number one, a judge refers a case to mediation. The mediator mediates the case. There's no agreement. Afterwards, though, this particular mediator writes a report for the assigned judge detailing how one party was unreasonable and should have accepted the other party's settlement offer. Good mediator or bad mediator? Well, the mediator is not a bad mediator just because there was no agreement. So the mediation could have been a successful mediation for a number of reasons. It might have brought the parties together to discuss their various perspectives. It might have narrowed the issues. It might have allowed the parties an opportunity to assess the credibility of one another. That being said, that mediation manager for this program might want to refer this mediator to our e-learning module on Ohio Court EDU that discusses Ohio's Uniform Mediation Act. It's okay for the mediator to tell the assigned judge that the mediation took place, that it's terminated, whether it was successful or unsuccessful, and who attended. But it's not okay for a mediator to make a report, assessment, evaluation, recommendation, finding, or other communication about the mediation to the assigned judge. These limitations on the disclosure by a mediator to an assigned judge are important limitations, because they allow the parties in mediation to be more candid in their discussions if they know that the assigned judge is not going to be hearing what they talked about in mediation. So I like how you bifurcated your response and pointed out both the good and the not so good, right? And it sounds like maybe this particular mediator might need a refresher on the Uniform Mediation Act. Just drawing on some parenting skills there. <laughs> Kids listen better, I think, if you give them a little positive encouragement and followed by the constructive criticism. Well, I'm definitely taking notes. I've got, <laughs> I've got a little one, so I'm definitely taking notes. All right, so hypo number two. This time, a judge refers to a case to mediation. The mediator has a private conversation with each side prior to the mediation to provide both information about the mediation process and also to ask parties about their comfort level with each other. Is this a good mediator or a bad mediator? This mediator has been well-trained. It's always a good idea to screen each party uh, to the mediation for purposes of providing a safe and constructive mediation process. Certain cases, such as domestic relations cases where parties have a long history together, might require more in-depth screening than, say, a small claims case, but meeting separately with the parties prior to mediation is always a good idea. And I think this is something that can be difficult for parties to understand. We receive calls sometimes from uh, parties uh, or litigants or attorneys saying they're not happy that the mediator met with one party separately. And I think that that's just a highlight for mediators to make sure that when they are speaking with the parties individually before the mediation for purposes of screening, that they explain that that is a normal part of the mediation process. And it's not like an ex parte communication with a court or a judge might be. And that's interesting. So it sounds like in this example, this mediator was paying attention to the earlier part of this podcast and some of the uh, information you were giving about the importance of screening, but also at the same time, maybe to be mindful that not everyone has been through mediation before uh, to be sure to provide information to parties about what to expect so that sort of private conversations with each side aren't misinterpreted. Exactly. Yes, I think that's a good point. 
Okay. So how about hypo number three? So this time, a judge refers a case to mediation. The mediator mediates. Parties reach an agreement. Afterward, the mediator goes home, writes on her blog about the mediation, identifies party names, details of the settlement proposals that were offered, and the result. Is this a good mediator or bad mediator? Well, you've, you've given me a question here that's a little bit more di- difficult to be diplomatic about because this mediator is unlikely to be called on again. If the parties to the mediation or the court learn that the mediator is sharing the privileged mediation communications in a public way. So I would not uh, suggest this is a good mediation practice. So if this mediator was on a court-connected roster, it sounds like you're saying they've, they've probably lost their spot on the, on the roster if they're going out and post on a blog about what happened in a mediation. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good to take notes. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, thanks for playing the game with us. I appreciate that. I always enjoy these games. So as we sort of wrap things up, can you uh, share a fun fact about yourself? The, a fun fact? Well, that's, that's a tough one. Um, I can say that my husband and I met in law school at, at Ohio State. And as of about a week ago, we have a new Buckeye. Uh, my oldest daughter is uh, just starting medical school over at Ohio State, and my other two daughters are in school at Notre Dame, where one of them, I understand, stayed in the same dorm, Veronica, as you did yeah. uh, when you were there. Well, that sounds like great fun. Well, and how can others connect with you to, to continue the conversation? I'm happy to speak with anybody about court-connected mediation or the trainings that we offer. Uh, You can call or reach me at the Supreme Court of Ohio Dispute Resolution section. Uh, We have a webpage that has our contact information for our section. Well, Kathy, I just really want to thank you for coming on the show today. It's, It's been great fun. Thanks for having me, Veronica, and congratulations on the success of this wonderful podcast. It's just another example of the way that the Franklin County Municipal Court is leading the way in innovation and dispute resolution for our courts. Well, thank you. Thank you. And uh, and kudos to you as well. You know, as I said it earlier in the episode, I I, I can't say it enough. You're doing some really fantastic work uh, with the dispute resolution section over at the Supreme Court. So uh, I appreciate that as well. Thank you. All right. Well, that wraps up this episode of Meetups with Mediators. Let's make your next mediation your best mediation. Talk to you next time.